this has been in this last part of our fast incredible to have both of our churches gathered here Jasper and Canton together did our Jasper worship team absolutely kill it last night yeah and our Canton worship team tonight just just filling this room and 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 putting us in this moment where we can celebrate God and even as as Pastor Thad said, whatever season you're in, proclaiming his goodness and knowing that his faithfulness will never fail. I love that we get to gather together. And I'm sad because Pastor Jason and Lindsay can't be here tonight. Uh, they're both sick now. Um, they, they live in the same house. And I know they're watching, and um, they love you so much. They love this church so much. They have given their lives to the local church, and, and they are missed tonight. But the story of this local church began 19 years ago, and it was so cool to have Pastor Brian here last night from Westridge Church. And if you weren't here, Pastor uh, Chad did a, a great job of just sharing a little bit of the story. How 19 years ago, Pastor Brian out of Westridge Church planted this church. And Pastor Brian is Pastor Jason's pastor. I don't know if you knew that. We all have, we all have somebody who is a mentor in our lives. And for Pastor Jason, one of them is Pastor Brian Beloy, who also sits on an advisory uh, committee, a, a bunch of pastors that speak into Pastor Jason's life that our board uh, seeks counsel from, wisdom from. So we have one church planting this church. In this church, Revolution Church, our heart is to plant churches. If you didn't know, we helped plant a church in downtown Atlanta, Crossover Atlanta Church. We helped plant Creekside Church in Paulding County. We have our churches in Northwest Kenya, and there's exciting news coming out of Kenya this year, not only with more church plants, but the thousands of people who are trusting in Jesus and getting baptized in Kenya because, because of your generosity. And now tonight, we get to celebrate God's goodness one more time because our guest speaker tonight is a young man who has a church planting heart like no other. And we as Revolution Church get to help him plant churches. And Pastor Jason is now speaking into his life as a pastor. So last night we kind of had a, a, a grandfather to a father and today a father to a son. And who knows what multiplication is going to happen through 
this pastor's church planting. He's already planting churches out of his church plant. And that is our heart. That's the culture that we want here at Revolution Church to know that 125 Union Hill Trail and Main Street and Jasper, that's not the end all be all. Those are base camps to send people out with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. So just as last night, as Pastor Chad said, please welcome Pastor Brian Beloy with that Revolution Church welcome, I ask, Lord, that I ask, Lord, I do. I, I ask you too. <laughs> I'm still in that posture of Adonai. Um, I ask you to welcome Pastor Chris Renfro from Hope Church and just know that his heart is knitted with the people of Revolution Church, and we are so thankful to have him here and, and so thankful to help you in your life of planting churches. So thank you, Chris. Please welcome Pastor Chris Renfro. Well, good evening, Rev. How's it going? The Rev, can I, can I say, Rev Church, how y'all doing? Awesome. Hey, it's an honor and a privilege to be here with you tonight. Uh, it's an honor because I'm so, so grateful for you and your pastor. Um, pastor Jason, we've met a few months ago and he began speaking into my life and I could see his wisdom and his heart for the local church and uh, he's been such a dear friend and mentor to me uh, since the day we met. Uh, and it's a privilege to be here because I am so thankful for you. You may not know this, but your church supports our church. Uh, Hope Church, we planted officially 17 months ago, August of 2021, and my family, my wife, Catherine, and our two little kiddos, Isaac and Ava, uh, we stepped out with a team of about 30 people to start a church over on the east side of 400 in the Johns Creek, Alpharetta area. So that's my family, and we are so glad to get to be here tonight with you, uh, with some of our team members as well. It's an honor and a privilege. Hey, I'm gonna pray for us, and then we're gonna dive in to God's word. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you speak tonight? Would you settle our hearts? Would you remove distractions? Would you cover us with your grace? Lord, would you speak through the power of your word and use this broken vessel for those who are here tonight in need of hope, Lord, would you provide the greatest hope in Jesus? For those who are discouraged, would you encourage our hearts? For those who are tired and weary, would you lift us up? Lord, you get all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, did anybody in this room grow up with siblings? Would you raise your hand? The vast majority of us, right? You grew up with siblings. I am sure that you are familiar with a sibling squabble. You may have had one today, right? Teenagers, anybody, kids, you know a sibling squabble. 
I had an older brother and a younger sister. My older brother's three years older than me, much, much larger than I was. And he was about 16, I was 13. And he came to me one day and he said, hey, let's fight with sock and boppers. You don't know what sock and boppers are. They're big inflatable gloves, kind of like pillows that you put on your hands. And he wanted to have a boxing match. I think they're made for about seven-year-olds. Uh, he's 16, I'm 13. And so we're down in the basement. We decide we're gonna have a boxing match. And we're fighting away and having a good time. And, uh, and then... A, about 10 minutes in, my dad calls us up for dinner. I do what any good middle child would do, and I drop my gloves and get ready to go for dinner. My brother's left-handed, he reared back as soon as I dropped my gloves, and he hit me as hard as he could with that sock and bopper, and all I remember is the thing exploding, and I felt his knuckle right on my eye. Uh, I don't know, it's like the movies or like a boxing match, if you ever seen one? I mean, I just lost all control and just, just fell face first just fell right on the ground, couldn't move. Whenever you watch a boxing match, you're like, why don't they get up in that 10 seconds? It would be so easy, just get up, sir, just get up. It's because they can't move. It's because their brain isn't working. And that's what happened to me. Black eye, I'm on the ground. I was like, ugh, and he's like, shouldn't have dropped your gloves, little bro. That's what you do, right? That's what an older brother does. That's a sibling squabble. Hey, there's a lot of sibling squabbles in the Bible. Uh, Cain and Abel. I'll be honest, that's, that's a worst case scenario, sibling squabble. Like that's the worst it can get. Uh, Abel didn't know what hit him. Like it just is bad. Uh, or how about Jacob and Esau? Or how about the prodigal son and the prodigal brother? There's a lot of sibling squabbles in the Bible, but tonight I wanna look at a sibling squabble between two sisters. And honestly, it's really a one-sided match. It's in Luke 10, 38 to 42. If you have a Bible, I want you to open it up there. And we're gonna talk tonight about what it has to do with abiding. You're finishing your last night of abide, of 21 days of prayer and fasting. Let's see what God's word has to say. Luke 10, 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Hey, the emphasis in Luke 10 is on Martha. Martha's a type A type of person. She gets things done. The text explains that Jesus and his disciples somewhat unexpectedly are coming through town and they drop by their house and these are dear friends. These are sweet friends that are mentioned all throughout the Bible. Their brother is Lazarus, one of Jesus' closest friends. It's the same Lazarus who he would raise from the dead not that long after. They're familiar to Jesus, they love Jesus, they know Jesus, and Martha welcomes Jesus and his disciples into her home. She gets to work. She's gone into hospitality mode. She begins making an elaborate feast. Jesus must be hungry. He needs a good meal. Any moms like that? Your place is always where you can get a good meal. It's always a good place to stay. We have a friend like that, Mama T. Mama T is a second mom to more people than I can count. You go to her house and you know you're gonna be well taken care of. Well, if Martha's a type A type of person, Mary is the opposite of that. Type B, type C, type Z, whatever you call it, that's her. Some would look at her and say, she's lazy. Today you may call her a quiet quitter. 
Somebody even thinks that she's being inappropriate. She's a woman. No rabbi would let a woman be a disciple, let alone sit at his feet as he was teaching men. She's going against the grain. She's hungry, but not for food. She's hungry for the words of Jesus. She couldn't care less what her sister thought or what the disciples thought or what culture thought. Verse 39 says that Mary sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his, teach, his teaching. This Mary is mentioned three times in scripture. And every time she's mentioned, she's mentioned at the feet of Jesus. Right here in Luke 10, 39. In John eleven thirty two, 32, she weeps at his feet as her brother Lazarus has died. In John 12, 3, she worships at Jesus' feet and anoints them with oil and washes them with her hair. Rev Church, you're in 21 days of prayer and fasting. How's it going? Luke 10 gives us a beautiful picture of what it looks like to abide what, what it looks like to simply enjoy the presence of Jesus and to learn from him. Or to grit your teeth and try to muscle it spiritually. And you can see what's happening. Martha is stewing, probably literally and emotionally. She's probably literally making stew. And she's stewing, she's huffing, and she's puffing, and she's doing that thing where she's slamming drawers and she's setting the pots down really heavy just so everybody know somebody's in the kitchen and they're not happy. It's never happened in my home, but I've heard that could have happened once or twice, right? <laughs> she's doing a good thing. She's working hard. She's serving others. She's sincere and she's selfless. And yet you can see the bubbles boiling from the bottom of her soul to the surface of her emotions. Tonight, I wanna to talk to you about the danger of hard work. And some of you may be like, man, these millennials, they wouldn't know hard work if it hit them with a stick. And to be honest, you might be right. I'm not talking about your job or school or chores. We're called to do all things for the glory of God, to work hard, to model excellence in all things. But what I'm talking about tonight is I'm talking about spiritual Busy work. It's the toil that's the result of endless effort. Endless effort that's being scraped out of an empty soul. The danger of hard work comes when it distracts you from that which is more important. When your work for Jesus becomes the end goal. Years ago, I was sitting across the lunch table with somebody, and he told me, he said, you know, I've been on fire for Jesus, and life's just easier when you're not. And I think about that often, because it broke my heart in the moment, but I thought, I thought back to it, and I thought, you know, I don't know that he, he knew what he meant when he said, on fire for Jesus. What I think he meant is, I've done a lot of church things and it's exhausting. What about you? 
Larry Osborne says in his book, Accidental Pharisees, he says, our hope is not in what we do for God. Our hope is in what God has done for us. That is the gospel. And Luke 10, 40, two verses into this passage, you see three symptoms in this one verse to diagnose a heart that, that may be misdirected, that may be focused for Jesus, but not on Jesus. The first thing is this. You've become distracted by the insignificant. First part of verse 40 says, Martha was distracted with much serving. That word distracted is the Greek word perispao. It's to draw away, to be over-occupied. Little lesson here, it's actually a hapax legomena. That means that it only appears this one time in the entire Bible. This one time you see this reference of someone being distracted like this. Hey, are the rhythms of your life oriented to draw you toward Jesus? Or do you continually find yourself drawn away from Jesus, overoccupied with everything else? Maybe the better question is this, are you spiritually focused or are you spiritually distracted? Focus is not determined by what you're doing. You can actually be incredibly distracted while accomplishing a lot. To be spiritually focused is to be consciously aware of Christ in your life at all times. That's what it means to abide in Christ. How, how does someone abide? How do you abide anywhere in any area of your life? It's not saying at 7 a.m., then I'll abide or at 9 a.m., or 3 p.m., or before I go to bed, I'll abide with you, God. It's to be consciously aware in every moment of your life. It's as Pastor Brian was saying last night when he had that chair up here and he was sitting down next to the chair, just sitting down with Jesus. It is very possible to welcome Jesus in your life, to love Jesus, to be excited about him, to serve him, all the while neglecting him missing his presence. Who was it that welcomed Jesus in Luke 10? It was Martha. She welcomed Jesus in her home and then she neglected him in her heart as she prepared a meal for him that he didn't even ask for. Have you ever been doing a lot but you feel like your soul is dry and empty in the process? Few things are more damaging to the Christian life than trying to work for Christ without taking time to be with Christ. One of the greatest lessons in our spiritual life is the lesson of dependence. Sometimes the most gracious thing that God can do in your life is force dependence on him. What he wants from us more than anything is for us to be desperate for him. Our church, Hope Church, we're going through a daily Bible reading plan. We're really creative at Hope Church. That's what we do. We go daily Bible. We're reading through the Bible in a year, and we've got a plan that we're going through. This week, we've been in Exodus and Acts. We've been reading through Exodus this week. We come to Exodus 13, 17 to 18. It's right after the plagues happened and Passover and the nation of Israel. They flee Egypt, and they're going out, and they don't know where they're going, but there's a pillar of cloud by day and a fire by night, and Moses is leading them out. This is what 
Exodus 13, 17, and 18 says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead, the, did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and they return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. He takes them out of the easy path, out of the easy way and around the long way. And then they're trapped and they're trapped in the wilderness and they don't know what to do. And they come to Moses. They're like, what? Is it because there wasn't enough graves in Egypt? Is that why you brought us out here? So we just die in the wilderness? So we'd be slaughtered? And what, is, what does Moses say in Exodus 14, 14? He says, the Lord will fight for you and you must only be silent. I doubt the Lord will ever stop teaching us dependence, leading us to be dependent. There's no lesson that I've learned more in starting a new church in the past two years than the lesson of dependence when it was tough and difficult and when I didn't want to and when I thought we could muscle it and when I thought we could muster up the energy or the money or whatever we needed and none of it was enough and God was forcing dependence. We got ready to launch in August of 20, or we, we were planning to launch in August of 2020. I don't know if you know, but that's a really bad time to start a church. And so we got delayed a year, and it comes to April of 2021. We had a core team of about 30 people, and we had nowhere to meet. We were planning to launch out of a school. The school shut down. The, still to this day is not renting out to churches or anything else. I have a list of 40 places that we contacted, and none of them would even respond, give, even give us a time of day. And so with our team of 30 people in the middle of April, we said, we're just going to start gathering in my home. I called Jordan over there, one of our pastors, like, man, bring your guitar. We're just gonna gather with our team in our home. That's where we'll start. And the next Sunday was the plan of when we were starting. My daughter, Ava, she was doing gymnastics and she went to gymnastics, was a little nervous. She said, Ava, okay, how about this? You go to gymnastics, you get to pick where we eat for dinner. This is one week before we're planning on launching our church out of my home. So she does that, does well. She says, I wanna go to our favorite restaurant, Crust Pizza in Alpharetta. So we go down to Crust. We go to pizza that night. It just happened to be a slow night. We know the manager and he sat down next to us and I just said, hey man, just out of curiosity, would you, would you ever let like a church use this space before you guys open on a Sunday morning just for a short season while we're getting started with our team? And he looked at me and said, I mean, I guess you could, but why don't you just use the brand new event space that we opened across the street? I was like, what are, you, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, it just opened. We haven't even used it for one event yet and nobody wants to rent it right now. Why don't y'all just use that? He's like, you don't even have to pay us anything. My wife manages it. She'll open the key. She has the keys. She'll open it for you on Sundays. That's where our church started. I've got a picture of it right here. That's where we started. It's like the humble stables of Alpharetta right there. You know, Joanna Gaines designed that. Like, it was awesome. We started, we had a team of people. We did our first prayer night and we were praying and praying. There's like 17 of us that came to our first prayer night. And I looked around the room and y'all, I was terrified. We had all these things we're praying about. And I looked around, I'm just terrified. Because I look and I'm the oldest person in the room. And I was 32 at the time. And I remember looking, I was like, what have I done? We're gonna be poor and we're gonna be stupid. And this is not good. There's all these 20-somethings. Most of them weren't even engaged or married or anything. And I was like, y'all, 
We, stopped, we ended the prayer and I said, y'all, before we do anything else, we have to pray for old people. We, we, we must have old people. And my definition of old people was anyone older than me. So I've offended more than half the room here. I was like, we just, we just have to pray. And I mean, the next week, we had people start coming, empty nesters and retirees. We had Mr. Dennis come, who's in his 80s. He loves our church. He's a champion. I mean, just go, they, he and his wife go walk their dog at the park and just invite everyone they can to come to our church. We love it, and they love us. And it's awesome. You come to Hope Church tomorrow, you'll see more than 30% of the people in the room are empty nesters or retirees. We prayed for keyboard. We prayed for a keyboard. Somebody bought us a keyboard. We didn't even have a keyboardist. We didn't have someone to play. So we started praying for a keyboardist. Wes right here on the front row is now playing keys and he and his family are incredible. They crush it and he's with us every week. He's on our worship team. Uh, we prayed last, we do 28 days of prayer in the month of February and we're in that right now. We did that last year and the number one thing on our list was that we were praying for a building. We prayed and prayed our whole church together. We prayed for a building and literally God gave us a building. A pastor came to me in February and said, would you like to have our building and do whatever you want to with it? The only problem was it was about 35 minutes away from us and nobody lived near it. And so we said, yes, but we can't use it. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna send our associate pastor and a team of people to plant a new church out there in Roswell. And they're, they're launching Willio River Church this fall. They had their first interest meeting two weeks ago, had 45 people come to it, and they're gonna be planting a church this fall. Uh, so now, this year, this February, we're praying much more specifically. Like, we, we need a building, God, on the east side of 400. That's what we need. And we're trusting the Lord's gonna provide. You see, we know this to be true. We've heard stories or we even experienced miracles in our own life. But what happens so often? Distractions get in the way. Martha let the distraction of service get in the way of the presence of Christ in her life. What about you? This leads to the second thing that we see in a heart that, that just that may be misdirected. It's here in verse 40, is that you're, you're bitter towards the Lord. Verse 40, it says that she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care? My sister has left me to serve here alone. I just shared from Exodus 13 and 14. Do you know what happens in Exodus 15? Moses writes a song. And the whole nation of Israel, they come together and they sing this song. And this is a little bit of what it says, Exodus 15 too. The Lord is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him, my father God, and I will exalt him. Exodus 15, 11, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Exodus 15, 13, you have led in your steadfast love, uh, in your steadfast love, the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. That's Exodus 15. It's right after the waves of the Red Sea, Red sea come crashing down on the army of Egypt but it's only the first half of Exodus 15. Do you know what happens at the end of Exodus 15? It's just three days later. They sing these songs. They've seen God deliver them from the most powerful army in the history of the world at that point. And then three days later, 
they're grumbling and they're complaining because the water that they find is bitter. That's a picture of us. That's you, that's me. Oftentimes, when we're distracted with the insignificant and we're tired and we're burnt out, we become bitter towards the Lord. God, why are you letting this happen to me? Why does no one see me? Why does no one care about me? Why don't you even care? Martha suggests that neither the Lord nor Mary really care about her situation. And remember, it's a situation that she put herself in. No one asked her to make this meal. If I could suggest that you read one book outside of the Bible, it would be the book, The Indwelling Life of Christ by Major Ian Thomas. He says this, so long as Christians are busy doing for God what is best in their own eyes, they will never enter into his rest and the true inheritance that is theirs to enjoy now. They will only be sweating it out and end up weary, discouraged, depressed. They will likely become deeply cynical. You may know some cynical Christians. You may know some bitter Christians. They'll be sure to point out the dark lining in any silver cloud. Martha's bitterness led to her isolation. No one left her. She chose isolation. It's the I'm the only one mentality. I'm the only one doing this. If I don't do this, it'll fall apart. No one else cares. No one else is gonna keep this running. No one else is gonna keep the house clean. No one else is gonna take care of the kids. No one else is gonna run this ministry. No one else is gonna worship like I do. No one else is gonna be there. I'm the only one that can do it. Barclay says, if serving Christ makes us difficult to live with, then something is terribly wrong with our service. Martha's problem was not that she had too much work to do, and it's not that the Lord didn't care about her. If he cares about the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, how much more does he care about us? Her problem was that her assumptions led to expectations that were not rooted in reality. She assumed that Jesus wanted a meal. She assumed that her sister would help her with it. She assumed that Jesus would tell Mary where she belonged. She assumed that if Jesus didn't do what she demanded, then he didn't care about her. A great question to ask the Lord is God, what do you want me to do? How much heartache would have been saved if Martha just asked that question when Jesus came into her home? And that can be a scary prayer to pray. We've got a parent in our ministry with some students, and we were talking a couple of weeks ago and I knew that years before she had served in children's ministry, she was on a children's ministry staff. So as we were just chatting, I asked her, I said, I said, hey, I'm really curious, like how did you get involved in children's ministry? How did you start working in a children's ministry? And she said, funny story, actually I didn't want to. I don't even like working with kids, but I saw that there was a need and I just couldn't get it out of my heart. And so I prayed about it and said, God, is this something that you want me to pursue? I said, for two weeks, I couldn't sleep. It's all I could, like, it's all I could think about. It's all I could do. God was just telling me, this is what I'm calling you to do. This is what I'm calling you to do. So she goes into the office of the church and she meets with the pastors. And she says, I saw that there's a need here. Listen, this is what's going on. I don't want this job. I would really love it if you would release me from pursuing this job, but I can't sleep. 
So I'm applying for the job because I feel like the Lord told me that's what I'm supposed to do. And of course, they hired her. And she worked in children's ministry for a few years and then her family moved overseas. And now she's back and serving with our church. There are those times when you can't do anything but what the, what the Lord is telling you to do. If he's leading, friend, please go. Take steps of faith. Find a place to serve. Be helpful to the kingdom. But if you are serving just to serve for service sake, and if it's making you bitter and angry and cynical and isolated, you may wanna reevaluate your spiritual life. You may wanna pull back and stop and take time to abide, to sit with Jesus, to be with Jesus, to worship Jesus. That's not to say that we don't have a place to serve, or that everyone shouldn't serve in the church or in your home or in your workplace. But the service is the overflow of what the Lord is doing in our hearts and lives. Bitterness toward the Lord is incompatible with the fruit of the Spirit. My wife says this, and she's much smarter than I. She says, joy and pain can coexist, but joy and bitterness cannot. The third thing is this, that you start to demand more of others. Verse 40, she says, tell her then to help me. Martha has given Jesus an ultimatum. Either you don't care about me or you will make her help me. It's one or the other. And at the heart of an ultimatum is us, not God. We pray oftentimes, your will be done, but what we actually mean is my will be done. So what it sounds like is this, uh, either that guy will ask me out or you want me to be a single cat lady forever. It's one or the other, God. Or either I'll get that job or that raise or that promotion or you want me to be a homeless vagabond and my kids are gonna starve. It's one or the other, God. Or either you want me to pass or you want me to pass this test that I'm unprepared for or you just want me to be a complete failure in life and I'm not even gonna try to go to college. It's one or the other, God. At the heart of it is us. And what we're saying is, God, you don't care about me. And isn't it interesting that Martha appears to be completely miserable and Mary seems to be completely fine? So Martha's solution is tell her to help me. Make her as miserable as I am. Misery really does love company. Friend, can I just tell you, Jesus isn't your puppet to tell others to tell you what, to, to tell them what you want them to do. And I'd be really careful to compare your spiritual life to others based on how much you are doing. Jesus said the kingdom of God belongs to little children. I've got little children, and I can assure you, they don't do anything. <laughs> but man, they're great at abiding. They're great at being where they are. They're great at just, just doing what they can do just learning what they can learn. And my children aren't perfect and your children aren't perfect. Little children aren't perfect. But they're generally satisfied enough with the presence of their parents. What about you? So Jesus finally gets to speak. Speak. 
In this passage, he hasn't said a word to this point. All of these symptoms, everything is summed up by Jesus' response in verses 41 and 42. And it's his response to the busy and to the burdened and to the tired to the effort-filled and self-reliant and self-sufficient, distracted, disrupted, disappointed way of spiritual living. His response to Martha is this. You're missing the point. Verses 41 and 42, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about Many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. I can't get past those words, anxious and troubled. Is anyone anxious? Is anyone troubled? For the past couple of weeks, as I was preparing for this message, I've talked to about a half dozen moms in our church, in our community group, people that we've had over for dinner. And for whatever reason, I feel like this passage really does resonate with some moms heavily. And so I've just asked the question, hey, what do you think about the story of Mary and Martha? And almost every time I've gotten this like same response, it's kind of one of those like, Tilted head, eyes get really big, and the question's like, why would you ask me that? <laughs> just about every time that I've talked to somebody about it, they've just said, I just feel like I'm doing a terrible job. I'm trying my best, and I'm trying my hardest, and I just feel like it's not enough, that I'm doing none of it well. And I think Satan may be maybe bombarding many of you with a weight of inadequacy, trying to keep up with everything while missing Jesus in the process. Hey, one of the best things that you can do for your spouse is just to give them time to, to free them up to be able to spend time with Jesus. But I know for sure it's not just moms. Dads, how's your spiritual life? Would it even cross your mind or cross your kid's mind that you abide with Jesus? Or singles, is Jesus's presence enough for your life? Is his presence and his work in your life enough right now to satisfy you? Or students, is independence your ultimate aim in life? When no one gets to tell you no, then you'll be happy. Ultimately, for all of us, the point is this. 
that our hope is not in our efforts or our abilities or our families or our resources or our freedoms. Our hope is in Jesus Christ alone. So to the weary Christian, to the far from God, to the hard worker, to the moms, to the dads, to the kids, to you and to me, Jesus' encouragement in Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29 is, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And those words are not just words for far off sinners who don't know God. They're words for you and for me. They're words for every Christian for every day that we live. Jesus says to Martha, one thing is necessary. And if you're like me, you're like, what is it? Give me the one thing so that I can do that. And he doesn't answer that question with words. He answers it with an example. It's what Mary is doing. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Mary has chosen the good portion. And it's a wordplay on the meal that Martha's making. She's chosen the good meal. She's hungry, but not for physical food. She's hungry for spiritual food. She's hungry for the bread of life. And Jesus' promise is that the good portion will never be taken away. Nothing done with, without Christ is worth doing. And nothing done with Christ is wasted. Abiding is being intentionally aware of the gospel in every area of your life, every moment of your life. It's what, it's what Mary did and it's what Martha missed. The point is to be with Jesus, to be with Jesus in his word, to be with Jesus in prayer, to be with Jesus in worship, to be with Jesus at work, to be with Jesus at home, to be with Jesus at church, to be with Jesus. That's the point. So my son, I've got a seven-year-old son, he was six um, last year, and he, come, he came to me a, a few months ago, and he said, Dad, uh, he said, I wanna draw a picture of Mickey Mouse. He's here, and I asked him if I could share this story, and he said yes, um, but please be gracious. I wanna draw a picture of Mickey Mouse. I said, great, he had seen a tutorial or a video at school, and so we found it online. He takes it, goes to the kitchen, grabs a piece of paper, grabs a marker, don't see him for 30 minutes. He comes back and he's just, he's just bawling, he's just crying. This is horrible. That is horrible. It's the worst picture of Mickey Mouse that's ever been drawn. I said, buddy, it's not that bad, it can't be that bad, it's fine, let me see it. And he shows me his, his first ever attempt, he had, he had not the right resources, not the right markers, not the right anything, no crayons. He just went, found a video, and he just draws a Mickey Mouse as a six-year-old, and this is what he gave me. And he drawn this picture of Mickey. And I said, I said, buddy, I love it. And I love you. He said, no, it's horrible, Dad. It's the worst. I said, well, how about this, buddy? I said, how about, how about you and I We'll do it together. I'll watch the video with you and we can draw another Mickey together. He said, okay. So we went to your back and we drew 
another, the mother Mickey, and it was actually pretty incredible. He's actually a great artist. But I took that first picture of Mickey Mouse and I framed it and I hung it in my office. I hung it next to the whiteboard um, that I generally will write sermons on. Because I feel like with my efforts and my abilities and my service, that's about what I have to give to God. It's horrible. It's the worst. There's no effort, there's no ability that's ever been worse than this. And Jesus comes around me. And he says, I love it and I love you. And let's do it together. That's what he's saying to me and that's what he's saying to you. There's no magic solution to abiding. But those who abide just like to sit in his presence, to be with him. If you miss everything else tonight, let me just give you permission to shed whatever burden you are carrying right now and to throw it at the feet of Jesus and to leave it there and to just sit with him. This 21 days of prayer and fasting as you go on tomorrow and you start eating food again or you start doing whatever you're gonna do again and you start serving again, you start worshiping again, you do all the things again. Just don't leave the presence of Jesus. Just don't get up from his feet. Just do it with him and he'll take care of the rest. We're gonna close tonight and I wanna invite you to pray with me. And I wanna give a two-part invitation. The first part is this. It's for those who have never surrendered their life to Christ. And tonight you realize right now, I need Jesus. This life, your sin is crushing you. You feel like it's killing you. And everybody right now, I wanna invite you to pray and I wanna invite you to bow your heads. But if that's you right now, and you say, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I need Jesus. I've never surrendered my life to him and I need him more than anything else right now. If that's you, I just wanna invite you. Would you just raise your hand? Would you just raise your hand so I can see it as high as you can? See one. Is there anybody else? See two. Hey, if that's you, I've got bad news and I've got good news. The bad news is this it's worse than you thought. Your sin isn't crushing you, it's already crushed you. Your sin isn't killing you, it's already killed you. What the Bible says in Ephesians 2 is that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. That's the bad news, but the good news is this, that Jesus gives dead people new life. How? You ask him to. You place your faith in him and his work that he did on the cross to save you, and he will. And you can do that right now. And if you just raise your hand or if you didn't raise your hand, but you know that the Lord's speaking to you right now, I just wanna invite you to pray. You can pray something like this. God, I know I'm dead in my sins and I need you. I need you to save me. I need a new life. I need you and you alone. I trust in you and I trust in what you've done on the cross for me. Would you give me a new life today and help me to live for you every day that I have moving forward, sitting in your presence? In Jesus' name, amen. If that's you and you prayed that prayer, 
you can trust that Jesus has saved you tonight. And I wanna invite you to come talk to a prayer partner up here, talk to somebody that brought you and tell them what God's done in your life. It's the beginning of a journey that will change everything from here on forward. But as we continue to pray, I wanna invite you to bow your heads again. And there's a second group of people. It's those tonight who feel like Martha. You're anxious and troubled and you're serving and you're trying and you're doing all that you can do and you feel like, it's just not enough. My life is weary and tired and I can't keep doing it like this. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up so I can see it? See you. I'm gonna pray for you and I wanna invite you right now. If that's you, the altar will be open and you can come and you can pray right here or pray with someone. But as we close this night in worship, as we close out this 21 days of prayer and fasting, don't leave here without doing what the Lord is telling you to do. Don't leave here doing anything other than sitting in his presence. God, we love you. We thank you. You are so, so good. Lord, would you just help us to abide in you, to sit in your presence, to leave here abiding in you, worshiping you, and sitting with you, and would see you do such great work as we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.